Amen. First Samuel chapter 26 this evening. Unflinching conviction again. That is the title for this evening's consideration. And hopefully the title is meaningful. Because we are, you know, it's, it's one thing to be faithful one time. It's another thing to be faithful again. Especially when you're under big pressure. You find out what, what you have in a person or in yourself when you put under pressure. This evening, we have this story of a man who loved God, penned God's word, of course, God giving it to him, and he knew about the great grace of God and did not lose sight of that when he had good reason to, when he could have just said, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't like how you do it, and I'm not going to serve you and trust you and sing songs of praise to you. Twice, he lets his enemy, his great enemy, go free because he refused to surrender his conviction. Now, there will come a time when he has a conviction that he will surrender. There will be a few times he will make mistakes that we will read about. But overall, here is a man that drew lines when it counted most and would not back away from them. I think of my personal time in the scripture, my devotional time, the benefit of which cannot be stressed enough. It will yield a surge of trust, especially in those days when trusting God seems evasive, absent, shattered by life. There are times when we're just chased away from God's word because of things going awfully wrong in our lives. There will sometimes whole seasons when a solid believer finds themselves with their back up against a cliff. And their quote from the scripture that they love so much, Do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today find is not working for them. Solid believer, cornered in their faith, still trusting, saying to themselves, God has failed me. What do you do when that happens? And it likely will happen. If you stay in the faith, if you stay faithful, it will likely happen to you at some point, maybe more than once. What do you do? You resist. You resist. And that resistance is played out by going again to God's word, which will give you a surge of trust in him if you remain, if you endure, resist the trap of surrendering God's word to the enemy. You know, we see this in romantic stories told of war when the generals surrender their swords to the enemy. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but when it comes to trusting God, may we never surrender the word of God to the enemy. Psalm 119, likely a psalm David wrote. We're not told who the author is, but it's got, if David didn't write it, who did? It's that much in harmony with everything we know about the man and his other psalms. But he says this, In the 16th verse, there's so many wonderful things, it was hard to find which one applied to what I'm saying about not surrendering God's word to the enemy because of long seasons of hardship. He writes, I will not forget your word. Just like that. That's the Bible. That's our Bible. We uphold it. And we're supposed to uphold it even when it doesn't seem to be upholding us. That's what faith does. Otherwise, who needs faith? I don't have to trust God. I just enjoy the smooth ride that I demand from him. Well, with that as our background for this man who is under pressure in his life and still performing gallantly, verse 1, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon? Ziph is about 30 miles from where Saul lives in Gibeah. This is the second time these Ziphites have done this to David. I mean, that has got to hurt. These are his people. These are people of the covenant. 
They're not supposed to do this. Now, granted, Saul created this condition where they were afraid for their lives. They were afraid that if they knew where David was, and they didn't tell Saul, that Saul would come and massacre them. As he had done before. And so, the second time, the first one is in chapter 23. Uh, verse 2, Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Fresh information. It was just too much for Saul to resist. A chance to catch and kill David. He couldn't say no to that, regardless of David spared his life last time. What did that mean? Proverbs 10, 23. To do evil is like sport to a fool. They just enjoy it. They get a rush out of it. He was delighted at this news. David is hiding in Ziph. Instead of saying, you know, he spared my life. He could have killed me. He did not. Let's end this. No, the feud must go on. And so he amasses a regiment, three battalions, 3,000 men to chase David. And meaningless to Saul was David sparing his life. And meaningless to David was Saul's admission to guilt. When Saul said, yeah, I'm guilty. You know, David, you're my son. I'm, you know, God's going to bless you, King David. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You're crazy. Impenitent Saul is in, inexcusable. He is accountable for his guilt. Otherwise, if he is not, if we start making excuses for him, well, you know, it was this and that and that, then no criminal can be guilty. Feel sorry for Saul's many victims. Misguided pity can become a crime against the innocent. Jesus warns, he says, you know, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Not a good condition. And we are supposed to be wise to this. So hated by Saul, yet so loved by God. Well, if I'm so loved by God, why am I being chased by Saul? And that's where we go back to. There are times in life where God's word does not seem to apply. And I have to just, you know, Iron Man football, where you play offense and defense. There's no relief team coming in. You've got the whole thing, and that's, it. that's how it is with faith. First Chronicles chapter 17. God speaking to David. This is, this is, David said, you know, I'm living in this palace, and God's the Ark of the Covenant's in a tent. I'm going to build God a house. And Nathan the prophet said, that's a wonderful idea. Go for it, David. God's going to bless that. Nathan, the prophet, goes home. And God says, <clears throat> Nathan, uh, you got to go back and tell David, I don't want him to build me a house. But he, he said many things through Nathan to David. And this is one of them under this, in this situation. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And David, of course, received that, was humbled by it, wrote psalms about it. Verse 3, and Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah. It sounds like a Hawaiian name. Anyway, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. Well, 3,000 men, not easy to hide, traveling out in the open. They're probably riding mules or horses, possibly walking or a combination of. The Bible's silent on that. We know there were horses and mules used in warfare in this time and before. Uh, David will hamstring horses of the enemy when he conquers them probably adhering to Deuteronomy 17, where the kings were not supposed to multiply to them for themselves horses, because horses were for kings, they were uh, for, for war. And God wanted his kings to trust him more than how he could build up his army. Uh, psalm 55 is a psalm David wrote, probably when Absalom was chasing him. <laughs> He's a man that was on the run a lot. He says, 
For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. In that psalm, David is saying, these are people that are supposed to be on my side. And this is what he's going through here. The Ziphites, Saul, the 3,000 men, likely from the tribe of Benjamin, the chosen men, that's Saul's tribe. And as he's on the run, his, you know, it did add up. You don't get good at getting your feelings hurt. You can harden up, become kind of mean and bitter, or you take the hits in fighting resentment against others, and that's what David did. It seems like he did it well. You read the Psalms, you find him, you could take a cheap shot at him and say, boy, he whines a lot. He's not whining. He's going through life by faith. Taking, uh, instead of taking matters always into his own hands, he leaves it with God. And that will draw fire. If you just make decisions because you're trusting God and they're not popular to others, they're going to come after you. And they're going to hurt you. But you're not allowed to strike out, to become bitter. We're always supposed to look for the higher standard, which is the standard of Christ's likeness. Verse 4, David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So he confirms the initial reports. He hears that Saul is coming because, of course, you couldn't hide that many troops. And the word gets to him. And David says, well, I, I need to see this for myself. Is he coming again? The whole cave thing didn't clear it up. His heart had to sink at this this. Uh, I don't know if I've been yelling at you, but my ear just popped, and I feel much better. I hope you can hear me now. Anyway, I've got to get the other side on board. So, verse 5, So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp, with the people, and camped all around him. <laughs> That's a gutsy move, huh? 3,000 men coming your way. It's night, incidentally, at this point. Verse 7 explicitly states that. And, uh, it, you know, he's, he's going to go on a night mission. He takes two other men with him. Verse 6, And David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zariah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. <clears throat> They're whispering, <laughs> like, <clears throat> like they were in a cave. Uh, here is even a, a, a gutsier move. Not only is he up on the ridge looking down at the camp, but now he's going to go into the camp while everyone is sleeping. This David answered. Likely, David, they get there and probably... Abishai says, now what, boss? Uh, and David says, well, we're going to go down to the camp. Abishai was the kind of guy like, yeah. Ahimelech, he's a Hittite. He's not Ahimelech the priest that joined David's group after the slaughter at Nob. He's a non-Jew who found it better to be with David than elsewhere, which is a profound thought. I mean, it's, it's, you have a type of Christ. You have a Gentile coming to, to you know, Jesus, son of David, because it's better to be with him than elsewhere. Uh, Abishai, he is the eldest brother of a trio of the wild bunch. There is Abishai, the eldest brother, then Joab, and Ashael, the youngest brother, uh, they were mean customers. You did not want to get on their wrong side. They were David's nephews. An avuncular moment for David to have these men uh, join him. They were family, but that... <laughs> now, here's a surprise. I don't want anybody to faint. They were family, and they were very difficult. <laughs> so I know some of you don't uh, get that. But anyway, uh, sarcasm gentle sarcasm. It's unfortunate it's that way. I think family just thinks they can take liberties and um, that they should not. 
Well, may we not be the guilty party. Whenever someone, whenever there's a problem, may we always be blameless. I always am. <laughs> Try it. You'll like it. Anyway, Abishai, as well as Joab, one of David's mighty men. And I like this character in the scripture. Uh, he is loyal to the end to David, fiercely loyal to David. Uh, he would kill for David at the snap of a finger. In fact, there's, he helped David in a fight which, with a, a giant named Ishbibinab. Now, let's all say that 20 times fast. 2 Samuel chapter 21. This is David's older now. He's king. And uh, we read then, Ishbibinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. You just feel the love in their words. Like, you are the lamp of Israel. Saul never heard that. No other king ever heard that. Not amongst the Jews. And uh, they they just was so in love with this man in spite of his shortcomings. And as I mentioned, Abishai was always loyal to David. Good times, bad times, thick and thin. Paul did not always have that. Paul lamented how when there were those that forsook him because they, were, they feared the Roman authorities. And, and, and I'm sure it just cracked his heart to have to write that to Timothy. But uh, a true warrior is Abishai with unswerving loyalty. And when it counted... Even, even in the days of rebellion, when Absalom, David's son, rebelled him, and when she, a man named Sheba rebelled against David, uh, Abishai was, was there, ready to take care of business. Now, Zariah here in verse 6 is David's sister, likely uh, older sister. Uh, these are, again, his nephews, and they seem to be close to him in age. Uh, David's probably approaching 30 at this time, and... Uh, uh, Abishael, uh, the younger of the three, is going to be killed by Abner. Not in this episode, but, you know, attempting to make a name for himself. If I kill Abner, man, they're going to think I'm one of, like my brothers. And Abner tells him, leave me alone. He's running from him. And he, he just pokes him with the staff and kills him by mistake. <laughs> Man, these guys, uh, you know, you just wouldn't want to tangle with them. There's just raw metal in these men. Uh, it says the brother of Joab, of course, will get Joab plenty enough in Second Samuel. He was unforgiven, unforgiving. He was violent. He killed with ease. Killing people came very easy to him. There's Absalom hanging in a tree struggling for his life, and Joab skews him three times. Yeah, he's dead now. And, and that was that. Uh, but uh, he was not one to, to cross. He did not want to get on Joab's bad side. I said it before. I've named my chainsaw Joab because he's merciless. You get him by them teeth. You've got it. I mean, there's no, that's it. Anyway, he says, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Abishai said, I will go down with you. Maybe we could kill a bunch of them. He doesn't say that. But he's got this, you know, he's just this exciting character. David has to cool him down a, a few times. Uh, he's o- he always seems to be close, in close proximity to David, and uh, loyal and quick to the draw, dangerous and useful. Verse 7, so David said, uh, so David and Abishai came to the people by night. Verse 7, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the other people lie all around him. Oh, it, easy to spot where Saul was. It's the command post. He has a perimeter of troops around him. They're giving him space because he's king. He probably has, you know, the standard, the banner up by where his, you know, sleeping spot is. It would not have been hard at all to know there's where Saul is. And uh, <clears throat> this spear, the mention again, we've come across it. Four times already, just it's intentional. In chapter 18, he throws it at David. 
In chapter 19, he throws it again at David. In chapter 20, he throws it at his son, Jonathan. And chapter 22, he sits under a tree with it in his hand. And then here in chapter 26, it's stuck in the ground, but David's going to take it. Uh, it was, you know, his security blanket-like. His secu- uh, anyway, verse, 20, verse 8. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will, <laughs> I will not have to strike him a second time. So you can tell, who's telling this story? <laughs> After these guys get back to the camp, David's got to be saying, Abishai, he just, let me kill him. I'll strike this guy right to the ground. That's, it had to. That's how it happens. That's how these kind of stories are preserved. There was no stenographer there. So what I'm saying is that, you know, they're on this emotional high. They're in the camp of the enemy, surrounded by 3,000 sleeping men that can wake up at any moment. So you know when they get out of there, they come down off this high. And their emotions would just be really running. Well, common sense is not spiritual sense. Uh, They're not the same thing. Abishai, using common sense, is ready to end this drama. He's so sick and tired of being on the run from Saul. He's eager to be rid of this menace. He likely was not in the cave with David to hear David restrain the men in the cave. Uh, that's in chapter nine, uh, chapter 24. This, uh, when we get to 2 Samuel, Shimei will be a, a Benjamite who hates David. And as David is leaving Jerusalem, fleeing, approaching Absalom, Shimei is cursing at David, throwing dust up in the air and throwing rocks towards him. Not enough to hurt him. Uh, and... Abishai is there. We pick it up, 2 Samuel 19. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for, his, for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? He asked David, can I go take his head off from him? Where did he get this kind of thinking? I could understand him. Let me just go kill the guy because I don't like him. But it's, he connects it to David is the Lord's anointed. Where does he get this? Because nobody else had it. He got it from David. David, he got it this night. David said, I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm not going to let you, you know, kill him. He's right here. He is God's anointed. Yahweh's anointed. And so he says, I will not have to strike him a second time. Meaning the death blow. A single death strike. These men had killed before. They knew what they could do. And you, you, again, you just say, this is the kind of guy you want on your side if things get ugly. And David, uh, I'm sure, was, I'm sure he, he was glad he had men like this with him. Could you? Never mind. Verse 9. <laughs> but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against Yahweh's anointed and be guiltless? Well, there's where Abishai gets it years later. Still, they are whispering (laughs) to to each other. Just because everyone's asleep doesn't mean they're careless. But here's this unflinching conviction again. He's God's anointed, and this is not something I can do. And I will not do it. I think Abishai could feel it. I think David was that intense at times that you could feel it. And uh, this is what was going on. He, again, he, he learned uh, his lesson. Again, Second Kings chapter uh, 16. This is when they're leaving the city. Uh, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. It comes off, David. I could just take it right off. <laughs> so this is the kind of guy he was, and you, you got to admire him. Um, so uh, when David goes out, that's the first one. The f- first one that I read, though, was when David was coming back. Anyway, chap- uh, verse 10 now, 1 Samuel 26. David said, furthermore. Uh, now, that David, didn't say, David did not say furthermore, but 
the historian. David said, furthermore, as Yahweh lives, Yahweh shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. They're just yucking it up right there in the camp. They're having this long, drawn-out conversation. So, David, do you like uh, fried dumplings? Uh, you know, just very, cat, you know, cool and collected men. Uh, David, God made him king. I'm not going to touch him. He saw beyond Saul's evil. I don't know about you, but I know about me. And when I'm under pressure, I have a tough time sometimes seeing beyond the present circumstance, the present evil. And usually it's my feelings that are messing up everything, interfering with, it's like, well, look at a television where you can't get a good signal. Because my feelings are be, trying to take over. You're going to put up with that? What are you, can you believe that? That's my feelings. And the spirit is just like, now the Lord has got this. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's to go back and forth. And I think all of you have your own rendering. It's probably not as impressive as mine. But there you go, the flesh and the spirit. Uh, so he says, he'll use someone else's sword to dethrone him, but not my sword. Uh, David knew that it's Satan's style to go against God's authority. And he's not going to have any of it. That's why he's saying he's God's anointed. This is a conviction that I just cannot depart from. What a lesson is that? What does Satan do? You know, for, for example, a brief mention of politics. Okay, done. Uh, but seriously. Uh, you can look at one side of the political world that is in total rebellion against Jesus Christ. They hate our Lord. They are anti-Christ. Anything, therefore, is probably evil. It is a basic way of reading the landscape, of looking at the battlefield and understanding where the troops are going to be coming at you from. Just because my enemy may appear to agree with me doesn't mean he's agreeable. And evidently, we, we have a lot of folks not learning this basic thing. If evil people are for something... That doesn't seem clear. They're probably wrong. And this is, if you look at what Satan is doing, if it's coming from him, it's wrong automatically. I've said it before. There are those that uh, are churchgoers that if Satan wrote a book, they'd go buy it. I just want to see what he has to say. It would be the dumbest thing in the world. Burn it. You know, uh, anyway, we can go on with that. But he says here in verse 10, Saul may just drop dead from a direct stroke from the hand of God, and this will be all over with. Maybe he'll be thrown from his horse and die that way, or in, or in combat. But he's not, I'm not going to assassinate God's anointed. I will not have that attached to my name, and I will not take the throne that way. The only law protecting Saul was a spiritual law by a spiritual man, who upheld the law of conviction. And again, if you want to uphold righteousness, you might as well take a, a metal rod and go up on the roof in lightning storm, because you're going to draw, you're going to draw it. We're seeing it now. Go ahead and say, tell somebody that you think homosexuality is, a, is an abomination to God, and you'll draw lightning. Uh, so be, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when we see Satan doing what Satan does. Verse 11, Yahweh forbid that I should stretch out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. But please, take now the spear. Now, he had to finish this sentence very quickly. <laughs> because if Yah all Abishai heard was, take the spear. Yeah. All right. But please, take the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. And so we can hear Abishai whispering uh, mumbling in a whisper. <laughs> Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And, well, we see this illustrated here. Um, 
yes, these men were tired from a day's march out in the wilderness, the sun beating down on them. That contributed to their fatigue, but we're explicitly told that their sleep was enhanced by God. Uh, It was more than natural. God intervened, and he used the natural exhaustion uh, to keep them in this deeper sleep that they were in. But that's all about to stop abruptly. Verse 12, so David took the spear and jug of water by Saul's head. Now, of course, Abishai is the one lugging it, but David is the one getting credit. (laughs) Uh, Executive privileges. And they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from Yahweh had fallen on them. So the historian telling the story, probably hearing it from David and Abishai, that, I mean, these guys were out. They couldn't even hear us talking. They were snoring so loudly. I'm not, I'm adding that. But, uh, which is possible, very much. I mean, 3,000 men snoring. What that would be like? You could could be yelling at each other and the other guy wouldn't hear you. Anyway, Saul's over-exaggerated opinion of himself and his constant underestimation of everybody else got him in, a trouble, in trouble this day. How is that? Because it's spread. Just like fear spreads to other people, so does arrogance if you're not careful. And uh, this, this spear, you know, is his weapon. It's by his head. Abner, his general, I'm getting a little bit ahead. I'm going to slow it down. But Abner should have posted guards, but they're too arrogant to do it. This would never have happened if he had followed the protocol, a military protocol. David took the spear of Saul instead of Saul's head because of this, again, unflinching conviction. We want that to be a dominant thought tonight. He was very capable. He had lopped off the giant's head when the giant was laying in the same position Saul was in. And yet, he... uh, he, do, he doesn't do it. He's certainly capable of verse 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. So what we're getting out of this is advantages are not guarantees. David knows he has the advantage, but he still plays it safe. He makes sure he gets far enough away that if they get up to come after him, he's got such a head start that he can get lost, he'll lose them in the dark and in the hills and ravines that are all over the place there. As a matter of fact, uh, out in, <clears throat> when you're out this far away from civilization, you can hear for great distances. You can see for great distances. And your night vision, which is mostly on the side peripheral, is very sharp. Um, I remember once uh, being in a, on a night training course, and I could see guys walking on the hi- on a hill that had to be, I don't know, half a mile away. I could see them just walking peripherally. And it was, um, we we trained that way. And so these little things are, we we might lose sight of because it's like if you're not around farm animals, you know very little about them. Well, if you're removed from these things, you, you would kind of find it difficult to believe how he could talk to them from a distance and how they could see. Uh, Verse 14 um, and David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? Evidently, David had been calling, but they couldn't hear him. That's why he says, Do you not answer? Don't you hear me yelling? <laughs> calling, but they're sleeping. And uh, hard, sleeping hard. And finally, it, it registers. And uh, that must have been almost a comical moment. Can you see David yelling, Abner? And he's not moving, and Abishai, he didn't hear you. Yell again. <laughs> what do we got to do, go back there and shake him? Uh, I, I, I find it very real to life. But he's deliberately exposing Saul in front of 3,000 witnesses. That's going to play into the future. And the effects of that's going to be remarkable. Uh, the officers, the troops, the Benjamites, Saul's tribe is here. Well, 
what we're going to read about later in Chronicles chapter 1, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we read this about men being loyal to David from the Benjamites. You say, how did, what made them switch? They heard these stories. They heard about David not killing Saul. They heard about loyal men lining up with David. And eventually they came to do the same. Well, when he becomes king, this is what we read. Now, these were the men who came to David at Ziklag. Now, that will be next chapter. While he was still fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. Now, these men, when David is king, they came to him when he's still running from Saul. But when he is king, they're still with him. And they're lined up in parade to uh, crown him king of all Israel. It continues, second verse, they were armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left, and hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. So you see, calling him out like this, not killing him. Harmless, you know, wise as a serpent, harmless as it's paying off. What would have happened if he killed him? They probably would have had a very difficult time uniting the kingdom under his throne. And then we again, again read at the same time in First Chronicles 12, Then the Spirit came upon Amasiah, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them. And made them captains of the troop. Can you, this guy is just, it's all he gets in the Bible. But he's just, it's an intensity that you, you just, you, you love to see happen. Uh, one warrior to another one. Shalom, shalom, shalom to you. He just, you know, I'm here, with, I'm on your side. God helps you and I want to be with you. I think loyalty is almost dead completely. It's so rare. Under pressure. Under pressure. Um, I, I, I watch it in my own self. I know I can't be getting it right all the time, so I'm watching. Uh, anyway, Saul, he's such opportunities. Wait, these are the men that would have been his men. They would have been Saul's men, but he wasted the opportunity. There's another lesson from the Bible to us all. He had Samuel. He had Jonathan. Ahimelech the priest. Abner. David. He wasted all of it. You younger Christians, you, to learn how to see an opportunity when it presents itself, to see benefits, to not waste them or misuse them, or even speak out against them. Give it time. Let it play out some. Don't be in a rush. Don't let, when you have the right, don't let someone rush you to go against your conviction. And... Uh, you're going to lose friends that way, but you'll gain others. It's going to hurt that way, but in the end, you'll be better off. You've got to believe these things because they're in the Scripture and they're in life. And you look at those who've gone through it, and you hear them say it, and you say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And uh, that is the benefit of discipleship. That is the benefit of having the young, the middle, and the old in the church, in the body of Christ. You get to see... The young, the old, and the, uh, the, the middle all working in rhythm. Even though it looks very ugly and clumsy sometime, Satan hates it because it is effective. Well, verse 15, so David said to Abner, are you not a man? David. <laughs> Abner's not liking this. He wish he was still. Is this a nightmare? And who is like you in Israel, David says. Why then have you not guarded your Lord the King? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the King. Well, that's true. Abishai came here. I'll kill him. I'll give him one strike. So David is putting them on defense. Abner's like, ah, he doesn't have an answer for this. Because again, Saul's arrogance infected his command. His right-hand man. No centuries. Are you kidding? 3,000 men. Nobody's awake. You know, in the military, there's no nonsense about being on guard duty. Even if it's fake guard duty. Even if you don't have a weapon and you're supposed to be guarding yourself firewise, you get caught sleeping, you find yourself court-martialed. Uh, it's a very serious crime. 
And so David is saying that because David's been a commander. He knows when his men went to sleep out in the field, somebody had to be awake. Verse 16, this thing that you have done is not good. As Yahweh lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master. Yahweh's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Oh, they didn't see that until he said it. Everybody, everybody's looking. Where's that jug of water? I could really use a swig right now. A little cotton mouth here. So David is asking, aside from saying, you know, you need to come under military justice for your negligence as a commander. He says, who is really the king's friend, Abner? You who neglected to protect him and exposed him to death? Or, or me, who spared his life in mercy? Am I really the enemy? Out in front of him, again, he's got 3,000 guys they're hearing this. The acoustics are amazing out there. Abner could have protested. He could have said, this is not fair. God put a sleep on us. <laughs> we couldn't wake up. Uh, uh, but uh, that's, of course, not true. Uh, God did put the sleep on them, but he couldn't. should have posted a, a guard. The Lord saw that, hey, he didn't post a guard. <laughs> I'm going to let him really sleep hard. Verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. I, I don't think he said it like that. I think he's very bold, bold as a lion. This is the same question that Saul asked when David, you know, came out the cave. Hey, I got you a part of your robe here. It could have been part of your heart. Um, anyway, verse 18 and he said, why does my, David again, asking, why does my Lord pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Why are you trying to hunt me down with a regiment? Everybody's saying, yeah, that's a good question. Why are we doing this? Verse 19. Now, therefore, please, David's still speaking his monologue here. <clears throat> Let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If Yahweh has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before Yahweh. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of Yahweh, saying, go serve other gods. David says, whose fault is this? If I have sinned and God has put this conviction on your heart to deal with me, then tell me and I can go to the temple and I can make an offering and and the Lord will forgive. If it's men, these men who, again, we know that David omits the reason why. Everybody's ignoring the elephant in the room. Saul's demonically out of his mind. But David is saying, the, if, there, if there are these men there pushing you forward, Saul, which we know they don't, you don't need anybody to do that, then... Uh, what's this about them making me go and worship fake gods by chasing me to the Philistines? This is a spiritual crime, is what he's saying. This is not right. This is the promised land. And I am a child of Abraham. I have every right to worship at the temple freely without being hounded like this. You know, life's not fair. Not only is it not fair, it's mean. Verse 20. So now... Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. So he's maintaining his insignificance and relative harmlessness. I'm not going to hurt you like a flea might itch you a little bit, but not going to hurt you. A flea is worthless and insignificant. The partridge, almost impossible to catch. You use a snare to catch him, but... Uh, there in those days, uh, they were hard to catch. And so he's saying, I'm not worth the effort. You're chasing a nobody who you can't catch. What a waste. That's what he's trying to say in a very poetic way. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. <laughs> Here we go again, probably crying too. Return, my son, David, for I will harm you no more. Yeah, not because of you. Because my life is precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. This is one of the great 
verses of the Bible, but unfortunately in the negative column. Well, no way. He says, I have sinned and I will harm you no more. No way is David going to say, I believe you. (laughs) What's for dinner? And he's not going to, you know. Saul's admission of a fact is not enough for David to let his guard down. But Saul, this is the this is the big word here. <clears throat> I have played the fool. Because when it came to convic- conviction, Saul had none for righteousness. He was speaking initially of his attitude towards David. That's what his intention was. David, I've been foolish with you, but it's much bigger than that. It told the whole story of his life. We read that and he said, I don't want to be in this position. One One pastor of old says, perhaps the briefest and at the same time the most accurate autobiography in existence. (laughs) I mean, in just, you know, five English words, he has covered his life. I have played the fool. I don't want to be that guy. And they're out there. And I don't know how to stop them. I think one of the biggest disappointments in pastoral ministry for me has been I really thought the the preaching of God's word would yield a lot more fruit. I underestimated the power of sin and the enemy. Uh, God did not. God's word is still true. Take it away, it gets drastically worse. I just wanted more. And that's, I think, a, a positive error. I mean, should you... Want a pastor that doesn't have those expectations? He just uh, it's probably not going to save anybody. Uh, you don't, you know, you want him to think I'm going to change the whole world, and I didn't think that, but I thought I'd make a bigger impact, a bigger splash. It's somewhat disappointing to make a little splash when you were expecting a big one. Okay. Uh, anyway, Saul. Uh, he never. He didn't say out the cave. I'll never chase you again. He does this time. It doesn't matter. He lies. I played the fool. Again, the story of his life. Unfortunately, he wasn't playing. There's nothing fun about this. And David, it's interesting. The Bible says David played music in chapter 18. And here Saul says he played the fool. Uh, The irony of it all. Such a contrast. And David will do foolish things, but his life was not wasted. You and I do foolish things. It does not mean our lives are wasted. It can mean that if we're not careful. Saul's grand mistake was living for himself. That's it right there. How did he become the fool? He lived for himself. It was all him. Everybody else was just a vehicle for himself. He spent his life on himself and no one else. And what did he get back? Nothing. Verse 22, now he doesn't even own a spear. He's missing his jug of water. David answered and said, here is the king's spear. Let one of your young men come up and get it. David's not going to stick around and say, I'll wait here until he makes sure you know, he gets the right jug. David just sticks his spear in the ground, leaves it. Here it is, let somebody come get it. We're out of here. And disappears into the night. Um, he'd be foolish to do anything else. Because if, you know, if, if you're a commander in Saul's camp, even a a lesser commander, you're going to be, while David's talking, you're sending guys to flank him. You take that shot. It's like, no, this is too good. I can't. (laughs) They weren't engrossed in his speech. They'd still be thinking, he's the enemy. We got to get him. So anyhow, David knew that. It's like they're tracing my call. I got to hurry up and get off the phone. And, And any verse 23, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For Yahweh delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Well, this is uh, really a, a prayer to the Lord that uh, David is making. Verse 24, And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of Yahweh, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. You crazy... <laughs> Uh, I mean, you, any rational being would just say, you, you know, yeah, you're right. You got me and mean it. No. Saul won't get another chance, but it won't. That's the only reason why we don't read again <laughs> coming after David. Uh, 
Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, because this is a, David is saying, do unto others as, as you would have them do to you. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule. This is why those who never heard of Christ, who do evil, will be held accountable for their evil. Because they would never want someone to do to them what they were doing to everybody else. It's amazing how some you know, habitual liars hate to be lied to. <laughs> Crooks hate to have something stolen from them. It's just a, a madness of sin. Well, is it too much to ask what Jesus said? You know, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them also. Is it too much to ask? Evidently not for the wicked. I mean, there's little crimes that can even be just... Too much. Somebody thinking that they're in a neighborhood disc jockey at 6 in the morning. I'm going to bless the neighborhood with my music. Uh, I'm telling you, if there could just be a, a device that would fry systems, you could push it and it just fries their system, I'd quit my job and just drive around looking for them. Did I say that out loud? All right, I'm kidding, but it, there's just one person, I don't know him, near where I live, I, he's, he's far away, he plays at like 12 o'clock in the night, I can hear it. In New York, it was so bad. All right, verse 25, if you really want to know, a later asked me, because I love, I love ragging on them, Saul, Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son, David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Noble words made pathetic by a fool. And they're a fool because he doesn't mean them. This is what we'll read. First, next chapter, this is David's reaction to all of this. 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Saul will despair of me and seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. That's what it was, you know, he was cornered. He trusted God, but yet he was on that roller coaster. Is God really going to deliver me from this man ever? He's just so tired at this point. And then he makes again a foolish move because he just lost sight for a little while. And yet he's still a man of the word this whole time. He's still writing Psalms. So off David will go with loyal warriors and God will add to his number and add to his victories and uh, we'll be reading about it if things go according to plan. Let's pray. Father, may we not be the Saul in any story in life. May we take these lessons very seriously. May we think about them from time to time. May they not be lost in a midweek service that's just gone by. But may we remember this is your word to each and every one of us. And may we take it very seriously. And may you get us all home safely. We would ask you in Jesus' name, amen.